Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. In that psalm, we sing of the power of God to stop the wicked and our enemies, and that gives us confidence to come into God's presence and confess our sins. So we do so with the words of Titus 3 this morning. Hear God's word. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were once also foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Thus far the reading of God's word. It's a bleak picture that Paul gives us there. Uh, The next verses we'll read for our assurance of pardon. But the truth here is that apart from the Lord, people are generally hateful and haters. One of the bigger slanders of our time right now in the culture is that it's the Christians who are the haters. Uh, I've lived around Christians all my life. I've had plenty of run-ins with unbelievers, and I can tell you it's more often the other way around. It's not that Christians can't behave badly. We do. Uh, But uh, one of the characteristic marks of the Spirit working in the the life of a believer is that it gentles one's uh, spirit. And uh, God takes away that hateful, hating spirit. Again, not completely Christian sin, too. But we are called to confess our sins, and we willingly do so. So please uh, kneel as you're able. If you would, take out your Bibles once again. We're going to Nehemiah chapter 11 today. Just as an introduction, we're going through this entire book. It's one of the things that we do because we believe that this Bible is God's inspired word. Every word of it is inspired. Uh, There's value in every last word. And even these lists of names that we're going to read that seem rather mundane and boring, there's plenty to glean here because it's given to God to uh, build us up. So we're going to read Nehemiah 11 here now. Give attention once again to God's word. Now the leaders of the people dwelt at Jerusalem. The rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city, and nine-tenths were to dwell in other cities. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. These are the heads of the province who dwelt in Jerusalem. But in the cities of Judah, everyone dwelt in his own possession in their cities. Israelites, priests, Levites, Nethanim, and descendants of Solomon's servants. Also in Jerusalem dwelt some of the children of Judah and of the children of Benjamin. The children of Judah, Athiah, the son of Uzziah, the son of Zechariah, the son of Amariah, the son of Shephatiah, the son of Mahalalel, of the children of Perez. And Maseah, the son of Baruch, son of Kol Hose, the son of Haziah, the son of Adiah, the son of Joyarib, the son of Zechariah, the son of Shaloni. All the sons of Perez who dwelt at Jerusalem were 468 valiant men. And these are the sons of Benjamin. Salu, the son of Meshulam, the son of Joed, the son of Padiah, the son of Koiah, the son of Maseah, the son of Ithiel, the son of Yeshiah. And after him, Gabai and Salai, 928. 
Joel, the son of Zikri, was their overseer. And Judah, the son of Senua, was second over the city. Of the priests, Jediah, the son of Joyarib, and Jachin. Sariah, the son of Hilkiah, son of Meshulam, son of Zadok, the son of Marioth, the son of Ahitub, was the leader of the house of God. Their brethren who did the work of the house were 822. And Adiah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Peliah, the son of Amzi, the son of Zechariah, the son of Pashur, the son of Melchijah, and his brethren, heads of the father's houses, were 242. And Amashai, the son of Azarel, the son of Ajai, the son of Meshilamoth, the son of Immer, and their brethren, mighty men of valor, were 128. Their overseer was Zabdiel, the, one of, the son of one of the great men. Also of the Levites, Shemaiah, the son of Hashub, the son of Azrakam, the son of Hashabiah, the son of Buni, Shabbatai, and Josabad, of the heads of the Levites, had the oversight of the business outside the house of God. Mananiah, the son of Micah, the son of Zabdi, the son of Asaph, the leader who began the thanksgiving with prayer, Bakbukiah, the second among his brethren, and Abda, the son of Shamuah, the son of Galal, the son of Jeduthun. All the Levites in the holy city were 284. Moreover, the gatekeepers, Akub, Talmon, and their brethren who kept the gates, were 172. And the rest of Israel, of the priests and Levites, were in all the cities of Judah, everyone in his inheritance. But the Nethanim dwelt in Ophel, and Ziha and Gishpah were over the Nethanim. Also, the overseer of the Levites at Jerusalem was Uzi, the son of Bani, the son of Hashabiah, the son of Mataniah, the son of Micah, of the sons of Asaph, the singers in charge of the service of the house of God. For it was the king's command concerning them that a certain portion should be for the singers, a quota day by day. Pethahiah, the son of Meshezabel, of the children of Zerah, the son of Judah, were the king's deputy in all matters concerning the people. And as for the villages with their fields, some of the children of Judah dwelt in Kiriath Arba and its villages, Debon and its villages, Yekeb Zeal and its villages, in Yeshua, Moladah, Beth Pelet, Hazar Shual, and Beersheba and its villages, in Ziklag and Mekona and its villages, and in Rimon, Zora, Yarmuth, Zanoah, Adulam, and their villages, in Lachish and its fields, in Azekah and its villages. They dwelt from Beersheba to the valley of Hinnom. Also, the children of Benjamin from Geba dwelt in Michmash, Aya, and Bethel, and their villages. In Anathoth, Nab, Aniah, Ananiah, in Hazor, Ramah, Gitayim, in Hadid, Zeboim, Nabalat, in Lod, Ono, and the Valley of Craftsmen. Some of the Judean divisions of Levites were in Benjamin. The grass withers, the flower fades, but this word of God stands forever. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. But you may be thinking, what is he going to do with this text? And uh, I wondered that myself for a while this week. Basically, what Nehemiah is doing here is describing where the people were living. Um, and the, the summary I would have for you is that God places us in different stations of life to serve him and to serve others. You've got mixed in with all the names a lot of roles that are still ongoing among the people of God, and we'll look at some of that. But starting the first two verses, uh, often in Scripture, the first verse or two of a chapter will give you the summary. 
That's true in the Psalms very often and in many other places. This is one of those places. You've got the basic uh, gist of what's going on in the first two verses. The leaders of the people dwell at Jerusalem. The rest of the people are at their homes, uh, not in the capital city, but on, on the, uh, fa- the home farm uh, homestead. So if you turn back to chapter 7, verse 4, remember that Nehemiah wanted to make a list of everybody who was there. And, and the one reason he wanted to do that was that he could have a, a list of names to draw from, and that's what he does here at the beginning of this chapter. Cast lots, take one out of ten of, of, every, of all the people who have returned, they need to live in the city to populate and help the city to grow. And that's what, they're, that's what Nehemiah is doing here. Verse 2, it says, The people blessed all the men who willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. And you shouldn't look over, overlook that too fast. That, it's a huge sacrifice. Your livelihood is back home on the farm. But 10% of the people, for a, a, some kind of time rotation, have to leave their livelihood and their farm and go help Jerusalem to be a city. And, and they willingly do that because Jerusalem needs more help. It's a big sacrifice. And the people willingly do it. I thought of um, pictures that you see in the newspaper, in the news. Uh, you know, when, when some city in Syria or Ukraine gets bombed and you, you see the, the ruins. And, and, and imagine, how do you move back in there and start over? That's kind of the project that they had to do. We've already read about the building of the wall and so on, but there's a lot to do within the city yet, building uh, buildings, homes, etc. So, uh, (coughs) excuse me, there's a a book I'd highly recommend uh, written by Doug Wilson called Repairing the Ruins, Uh, and that uh, looks at our spiritual state and our educational endeavor. And, and you can look at that as, in, in the same kind of way. In our culture, there are just ruins and rubble all around us, spiritually speaking. And we're seeking to rebuild that. And so we have the same kind of task in front of us. We have uh, sacrifices to make. Just apply this for a second as, as Don and Chris and Katie became members today. You know, if you're a, a church member here, we're going to ask you to serve in some ways. That's one of the differences between being a, a member and not. There, there are privileges that come with being a member. We're going to ask you to vote sometimes on, on big issues. We're also, maybe we'll ask you to pray, like you saw two of the men praying today, uh, reading scripture at some special services. Uh, now, you may be more involved in, at, at work or local politics or something else, and that's fine. It's, when you become a member, we don't ask you to be here every night of the week and you know, take 20 hours a week to do things. But notice that Nehemiah is asking for a lot. Right? 10% of the people, hey, come for I don't know how many months it was and help out here and leave your home and your job uh, to help us. So it's a big sacrifice sometimes to help and to serve the body. That's what's going on. Now the rest of this um, I'm going to go through quite quickly and then just apply a couple of uh, topics. Uh, So verses 3 through 9, you have Judah and Benjamin living in Jerusalem. The Nethanim are the temple servants or the servants of Solomon. They're living... Down in verse 21, it tells us, in Ophel, which was a district in Jerusalem. So it's, it's a list of people who are living in the city. Some of them um, just the, the normal people of, of the day. Some of them, the leaders uh, listed out by name. You see their genealogies there. So part of what's confusing in reading this is it's this guy, son of this, son of this, son of this, son of this. 
and this guy, son of this, son of this, son of this, son of this, right? Every leader, they're giving their genealogy because those are prominent leaders in the, in the um, city. So that's what's going on there. Now you've got, again, two different kinds of uh, characters here, two different people. You've got the full-timers, you could call them, the, the ones who are there, and they're making their livelihood in the city. Right? There's 822 priests, it says in verse 12. There's 284 Levites, that's verses 15 to 18. You have gatekeepers in verse 19. That's the security of the day. Right? They're, they're custodians and, and a security team, literally. Uh, so they're listed out there. And you have singers in verse 22 and 23. So uh, you have this, this long list. And the singers, it's interesting to note, I think it's verse 22, 23. It was the king's command concerning them that a certain portion of the Levites, that means, should be for the singers. A quota day by day. So there's, there's this particular role of music in worship that's called out. Make sure that's taken care of. That's fascinating. But, but that's one of several functions there you see. The priests, the Levites, gatekeepers, singers. Um, and it's often uh, discussed, that verse, what king is that talking about? There's two options. What, what king's command? One option is what we read from 1 Chronicles 16. When David uh, brings the ark into the tabernacle, he does something new that's not specified in, in, uh, by God in, anywhere else. It's quite an innovation. He says, okay, we're going to have some of the Levites sing. And David himself is, is a musician. He, he wrote the Psalms. He plays the harp, right? So he brings in something, some of his own expertise into the worship of God. It was not, as far as we know, done before. The Levites had, did, there was no, there's no mention of the Levites or anyone in the, temp, in the temple or the tabernacle singing before David comes along and does this. So that's one option. It could be King David establishing the singing. The other option is that it could be the Persian king who said, make sure that you do the worship of your God how, you want it, how it's supposed to be done, and here's the budget for it. So it, that's, that's a second option. It could be Artaxerxes who gave the most recent budget for temple service. I tend to lean towards the David option, but it could be either. So the singers are provided for. Now verse 20, uh, then you get one verse for all the rest of Israel, right? The priests, Levites, they were all in the cities of Judah, everyone in his inheritance. In other words, again, they've got the family farm out in the country or in the village, you know, 20 miles away, whatever it is, away from Jerusalem. They scatter and go home. Uh, so that's, that's the, the main thing that's happening here. And you see the list of those from verse 25 on. And again, some of those names you might recognize from other Bible stories, but a lot of them are just obscure to us. It would be like saying, though, uh, they all went to their towns and villages, to Heartland, to Brighton, to Howell, to Waterford, to Milford, to Fowlerville, Holly, Bloomfield, Langsburg. Just a long list of different towns around. That's what that list is like. So that's uh, just a brief explanation of this chapter. Now, a couple of things that came to mind, just going more topically here at a moment. Uh, one is to notice that there's a city thing and a country thing going on here, right? Jerusalem is the city, the capital city. Uh, some people are local, they're on the family farm, they're farmers, they, they're not into city life, they never have been. Uh, others work in the big city and live there. Uh, and all of them are God's people. There's been a lot of talk in the last few years about uh, one of these being better than the other. 
Um, Tim Keller has been big in the movement to revitalize the city, for example. Uh, and there's been some reaction against that to restore the homestead in the country, right? And I think it was G.K. Chesterton who said, you know, if, if you set the sun next to the moon, some fool will probably talk about which one's better. If you, if you set a man next to a woman, some fool will talk about which one's better. And I think the same could be said of the country and the city. I don't think you should talk about one of those being uh, better spiritually. There's no need to endorse one or demonize the other. Uh, both are uh, upheld as redeemable and uh, worthy of pursuit in Scripture. So city life, country life, uh, the church, the body of Christ should um, be able to uh, not be a country church or a city church. We ought to be able to uh, live and be together, uh, whatever our various lifestyles in that regard. That's the city and the country. Uh, that's God's people all listed here, some from each place. Uh, I'll come back to that in a minute and see why that's important. Uh, also notice that there's a clergy and a laity distinction going on here, right? You have, a, again, in this list, several, you know, maybe half of the names are, are what you could call clergy. They're involved in full-time ministry. They're, they're making their living off of temple and tithe. The, whether it's the singers, the gatekeepers, the priests doing the sacrifices, the Levites, uh, and so on. Now that doesn't make them more special, doesn't make them more holy, uh, but clergy, so to speak, they, we, we have different callings. Uh, some people are called to be an engineer or to be a mother. Others are called to be a pastor or a teacher or to do church music, for example. Uh, it doesn't make one better than the other. But the assertion I'm making is that the New Testament, besides Nehemiah here, the New Testament does not undo the distinction. There still should be the church paying elders laboring in the word, for example, 1 Timothy 5 says. The deacon role is also very clearly spelled out as an elder-appointed position with authority. Right? Deacons in Acts 6, they're making decisions about who should get what church support. And, and making sure that we're not uh, discriminating and, and being prejudiced against certain kinds of people. So you have certain roles that are still uh, valid. Uh, again, that doesn't make a pastor or an elder or a deacon more important. It's just a role that should continue. Uh, and I don't think it's wise to try to make every uh, head of household, for example, into a, a, the role of a clergyman. Because there's special training, there's full time that's needed for that job. We ought, all ought to strive for spiritual character worthy uh, of an elder or deacon, of course. Uh, but there are uh, different roles that are involved. So you see that here in this text as well. The priests have to do their priest thing. The gatekeepers need to do their security thing. And the people need to go home and do their farm thing. We, we all have our various callings, and those are all good. And, and they're all needed uh, in the body of Christ. So again, that, that's going to make the same point, which I'll come to now. And that's the, the point of volunteering. Uh, volunteering. Verse uh, 2, uh, you, you get the, the idea there. The people bless the men who willingly offer themselves. Now that's kind of interesting because in verse 1, it says that they cast lots. So, it's, so my idea here is we, we're, we start to, we've started using this uh, word voluntold, right? Sometimes you get voluntold. To, to do something. I think that's kind of what's going on here because it, it's almost like the draft and your number comes up in verse 1. They cast lots, 1 in 10. If your name's called, you go to the city. 
And yet, verse 2 says, they willingly offer themselves to do that. So there, there's a mixture there of, of the leaders saying, hey, we need you to do this. And, and you willingly saying, okay, all right, I, I, I volunteer. So there's, uh, there, there's an interesting paradox going on there. Volunteering beyond your immediate responsibilities is important. And sometimes it's required. Uh, some of us have more or less margin than, uh, than others to do that. We have to acknowledge that. One goal we should have is that we get our own lives in order as much as we can so that we can help others. Right? We see that in Galatians 6. Each one needs to bear their own burden, and we also need to uh, be available to help others, it says in the next breath. But we also need the humility to accept that there are times that we'll need help from others. And that's fine, too. The community is a back and forth of giving and receiving like that. Uh, there's more need here than you may realize, so join us and, and pitch in. Uh, the key is, is service to God and service to others. That's what's going on. Repair the ruins. Clear out the rubble. Build a home. Not just physically, but spiritually as well. Work to save up capital. Physically, financially, spiritually. Uh, the proverb says, lay up an inheritance for your children. That's what the, the godly, the wise do. And we experienced this, this this morning in baptism. In baptism, we say, this child is now engaged to confess the faith of Christ crucified and to be his faithful servant until his life's end. We're set on a path of service right from the beginning of our lives. We saw it too in the Heidelberg this morning. If you check that out in the bulletin, you see the second question. What is the communion of saints? Well, we're members of Christ the Lord. We have communion with him, sharing in his treasures and gifts. And each member should consider it a duty to use those gifts readily and joyfully for the service and enrichment of the other members. So the gatekeeper in Nehemiah 11, who has this security expertise, uses that to serve and to help the body. And that's a great help because not, not every farmer amongst us knows the right security protocol we ought to use. That's good. You serve the body in that way. The, the priest serves the body by preparing a prayer, being ready to make the sacrifice, having teaching prepared for the people, and on and on it goes. The key is service to God and others. And we do this in our callings and in our volunteering. Um, I'm just going to close briefly with the gospel connection. This all comes back to the gospel. The, the main point here is that we need to receive from others. Right? We need to give for others as well, but we need to receive. And, and if, you look, if you look in between the lines here in Nehemiah 11, that's what you see. The, the priests, the gatekeepers, the musicians who are living in Jerusalem, they receive tithes from all those farmers in those villages. And those farmers in those villages, they need to have the humility to also go to temple and, and receive, and you receive a gift there. You, you get to take part in the music, the teaching. It's, it, you see how the roles are almost all the exact same as they are today, except, except we don't have the sacrifice, right? We're looking back to the one sacrifice of Christ. And that's the main thing we have to receive, right? We have to receive from Jesus salvation with no deserving of it. That's the essence of being a Christian. Receiving something. That's, that's it in a nutshell. Think of all the, the political discourse going on today. You know, you, 
people are describing Christians as certain things these days. It, to be a Christian is, is not defined by being a right-wing extremist or being a nationalist or being a Trumper. It's not the same thing, right? Being a Christian means receiving a gift that you didn't deserve and that you had no part in making happen. That's what makes you a Christian. God so loved the world that he gave his son. God gave to the world. Whoever believes in him has life, but you have to receive him. And infant baptism shows us this, right? William this morning was given a gift without working for it at all, right? He's going to grow up, and you'll start taking solid food, and he'll start looking around and seeing everybody take the bread at communion. And then he'll receive that too. And later on yet, he'll understand what this means. And he'll receive Christ as his Savior. And John 1 points this out. That's why we read from John 1. That he came to what was his own, Jesus did. And his own did not receive him. But to everyone who receives him, God gives the right to become children of God. That's the essence of it. Receive help from others. That's, that's an overflowing of first receiving help from God. If we don't have the humility to do that, if we, if we can't say to God, I need you, I need the gift you gave to me, or I am dead, then we're not a Christian. That's what sets us apart from the world. Not that we're better people, not that we're more moral, more, better behaved. It's that we're willing to receive what we need from God, Jesus. So receive help from others. It's a gift. Romans 4 puts it that way. When Paul's trying to work out grace and explain grace to the Romans, he uses the, the illustration of wages and gift, right? 4 verse 4. Now to him who works, wages are not counted as grace, but as debt, right? Your employer owes you when you give in the work that, 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 they, that you've put in. Grace is not like that. God doesn't owe us anything. We often get to thinking that he does, but he doesn't. But God gives to us freely this gift that we are to receive. So we see that work out in the life of a church, of God's people. We're constantly giving to each other and receiving from each other. And that's because God gave to us and we have received from him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you have provided so abundantly for us, so wisely, that you intricately designed the universe, its, its complexity and design are just majestic. And just as in the natural world, so with your people, you have made our, our bodies in a fearful and wonderful way, and you have put together us together in community also in a mysterious and grace-filled way. Lord, help us to be able, as we have already received new members today, to seek the purity and the peace of your people, to seek to build one another up. Thank you for the ability to pray for one another, to bring meals, to help in tangible ways. Lord, uh, keep us pursuing your will. Help us to love you and to love our neighbor as ourselves. All this we pray in the name of Jesus, who is the ever-living word. And we sing as he taught us to pray.
this supper we're about to celebrate is a feast of remembrance, of communion, and of hope. We come in remembrance that our Lord Jesus was sent of the Father into the world to assume our flesh and blood and to fulfill for us all obedience to the divine law, even to the bitter and shameful end of the cross. By his death, resurrection, and ascension, Christ established a new and eternal covenant of grace and reconciliation that we might be accepted by God and not be forsaken by him. We come to have communion with this same Christ who has promised to be with us always, even to the end of the world. In the breaking of the bread, he makes himself known as true heavenly bread that strengthens us to life eternal. In the cup of blessing, he comes to us as the vine in whom we must abide if we are to bear fruit. And we come in hope, looking into the future, believing this bread and this cup are a pledge and a foretaste of the feast of love we'll partake of when his kingdom has fully come, when with unveiled face we shall behold him, made like him in his glory. Since by his death, resurrection, and ascension, Christ has obtained for us the life-giving spirit who unites us all into one body, so we are to receive this supper in true love and mindful of the communion of saints. So we now invite to the Lord's table all those who are baptized, who are under the authority of Christ and his body, the church. By eating the bread and drinking the wine with us, you are acknowledging that you are a sinner without hope except in the sovereign mercy of God, that you are trusting in Christ alone for salvation. So come and welcome to the Lord Jesus. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.